I think is important to to have a mindset shift over when it comes to cooking is to embrace it as a mindfulness practice. And when we think about what makes a healthful life, the pillars of what they call lifestyle medicine, well, of course, there's good food and there's exercise. There's also sleep. There's stress management and community. Welcome to the Plant-Based Curious Podcast, a place to explore and discover the plant-based and vegan lifestyle. Each week, we'll talk about our own stories and real discoveries alongside our experts and experienced guests about changing behaviors, whole food living, nutrition, and the amazing facts and positive curiosities about veganism. We're here for you as a guide and a place to gather resources. But with the simple click of our subscribe button, you're allowing yourself a little time and good energy to listen, laugh, and indulge in the lifestyle you may love. Please welcome your host, a certified holistic coach and plant-based lifestyle believer, Diane Randall. Hello and welcome. In this podcast, I'll be discussing why so many of us hate cooking and how to get over it to experience joy and ease in the kitchen instead. And to help us with this topic, I have a very special guest, Brigitte Jim. Brigitte is a certified plant-based nutritionist and the founder of Vegan Family Kitchen. Her recent book, Flow in the Kitchen, Practices for Healthy Stress-Free Vegan Cooking, is all about helping people put ease and joy in their kitchen. Welcome, Brigitte. Thank you for having me. It's fantastic to be here. I am so happy that you're here to just share with us your knowledge of cooking in the kitchen. So, Brigitte. Can you tell us why so many of us hate cooking and what are some of the common obstacles that people face when it comes to cooking? I hear this all the time from my own clients. And I think there's some level of shame that's associated with that feeling. But there's also some level of shame oddly associated with the idea that we're cooking. Like cooking somehow is below us, like cooking belongs to our grandmothers with an apron, and that's a bygone area, and now we're modern people. And I think that's especially true for women. We're modern people, modern women. We shouldn't be weighted down by such domestic duties, right? And so on the one hand, we feel maybe that we should do it because we want to eat, right? We're hungry. We kind of have that feeling that eating out all the time is probably not a good idea. And I'm not going to ruin anything for you. But yeah, that's true. It's not. <laughs> we don't make the best choices when we eat out. Restaurants are not necessarily looking for our best interest either. And so we have that idea. Yeah, I have to cook. I have to feed my family good food. We have all of these models of what a good mother is and how we should feed our children. So we have all these aspirations. But at the same time, we might feel bitter, resentful, isolated even. And why is it me again? Why do I have to cook dinner? Why does it always fall on my shoulders? Why am I alone in the kitchen? All of this. And I so completely get it. And I have also felt those feels 
my own mother, I have to say, I, she just moved and she uh, was going through some old stuff. And she gave me this book that was her textbook, I guess, at she went to the Family Institute High School. That was in Quebec back okay. in the 60s. <laughs> and girls would go to the Family okay. Institute. So she had, you know, up to grade 11 education, which was oh, pretty good for, you okay. know, one a girl that was the youngest of a family of 11 kids. But she went to the Family Institute and there's this whole textbook. And I think as I was growing up, I had this vision of that's not going to be me. Right. I'm not going to the family institute. I got a bleeping PhD. <laughs> and so I, I shouldn't have to cook. <laughs> and yet we do. And so there's that's a really big part, I think, is that with the evolution of ideas around gender, we've come to think, I think, especially women, that cooking is just not something we do. We have better things to do with our time. We have more knowledge and expertise that would be a better use of our time. There's another aspect to this, though, to this gendered aspect that's kind of the opposite. Just like the color pink has been derided or chick flicks or chick lit, you know, all the things that we associate with yes. women are somehow less interesting, less important, less serious, less highbrow, less valuable. And we spend a lot of time celebrating and I'm all for that. I used to work, for example, with people who were promoting women in engineering and women astronauts and women CEOs. And that's fantastic that we have this capacity today to embrace so many different roles. But let's face it, women who feed and nourish their families that's also really important. And in some ways, one might say it's even more important than being the CEO of a mining company. <laughs> you know, I'm just giving a silly example, but I celebrate right. the caring role. I celebrate this ethic of service. And we have also to value that. And that's not a conservative thing saying, you know, we've swung too far one way or the other. I think if you're the CEO of some company, you probably have the income to have someone that will cook for you as you would cook in a home style. And that's wonderful. But we also have to realize that we've bought in this model that devalues traditionally women-based tasks, the ethic of caring has been devalued. Teachers earn way less than they should because it's a female-dominated profession. And we could say the same thing about nurses. We can talk about all the unpaid caring work that women do. So cooking is a part of that. And we've come to just internalize that model which is really unfortunate because, frankly, cooking our own food and, as you know, obviously cooking whole plants is the biggest gift we can give ourselves. It's perhaps the most important thing we can do for our health. And yet we've internalized all of these ideas that it's not important. And that's really too bad. It, it's the biggest gift, but I resonated with what you just said, because as a young mom with two children who was busy with work, one of the things I outsourced was the cooking <laughs> when my kids were little. So I'm following exactly what. Yeah. 
and I'll just speak for myself, just wanting to focus on that career and being really focused. So I also feel the message I got from society was you can't do both very well. Okay. So if I'm focusing on my career, then I have to offset something. And so my kids wouldn't be shortchanged. I literally put that in a description of the sitter and the nanny over the years. So I really follow what you say. I just hadn't thought about it. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it in all these years. So I'm so happy that you're here to remind us of the messaging that we got as women change roles and evolved into going into the workplace and really stepping up to have careers. So I I really hear what you're saying. So what are some of the myths and misconceptions around cooking that prevent people from enjoying? Well, there's certainly the idea that it will take a long time, that it's going to make the kitchen really messy, that there's going to be a lot of ingredients. I think the general idea that it's a hassle is a big part of the problem. And as we just mentioned, the idea that it's also below us. And I just want to backtrack on on one thing. It's that Mm -hmm. I think in our current contemporary capitalist society, I hate to put on my sociologist hat here, but that's my training. The conditions are such that there are a lot of people, perhaps the majority of us, that are stressed out, trying to make ends meet, having sometimes multiple jobs, but even just one job that's really demanding. And there's a lot of pressure to just cling on to our homes, our jobs, not just our status in a, you know, frivolous way, but really not being on the street practically. And so I don't want anybody to hear this thinking that there's blame. I think we really need to organize to make sure that And that's not going to happen tomorrow. Unfortunately, I realize that the revolution is not happening this year. But we really need to have those modicums of security, food security and housing security to be able to get beyond that. On the flip side, there's a lot of people that are, it's not that they have cushy jobs or anything, but they could be spending more time on self-care, like cooking and They've got different priorities that sometimes they don't even realize. And I'd say the popularity of streaming services like Netflix and things, I'm not saying it's not great to watch a movie once in a while, but obviously we're watching a lot of TV and some of that time could be redesignated for cooking. I hate to say that cooking is, that it's true that it's a hassle, but yeah, I mean, it is more of a hassle than scrolling social media. (laughs) Right? You can sit on the couch and scroll Instagram and TikTok and have a good time. And of course, going in the kitchen and you can't, you know, make soup without getting a knife, a cutting board and a pot dirty. So there's going to be a little bit of that. And at the beginning, when you're possibly making mistakes or you don't know exactly what's going on, maybe you choose a pot that's too small and then you have to switch to a bigger pot. And so now you have two pots to clean and that's frustrating. But number one, there's a learning curve to everything, and it's something that's profoundly worth investing in. Number two, it gets better. And I want to say as well that it doesn't have to be complicated. From eating out, especially, and from having 
a bazillion food options. You live in a big city. I live in a big city. There's like, I don't know, a thousand restaurants here, at least probably more that I can choose from with all these different kinds of cuisines. And we have this impression that we have to keep up with that, that we have to compete in our home meals with the kind of food that we will eat at a restaurant. And we don't have to. And the fact is that most people I know, when they order out, they always order the same thing <laughs> or they order from like two or three different restaurants. So we don't actually mm -hmm. really value that diversity as much as we think. We like to have the idea of diversity. I think it gives us a sense of power, maybe like, oh, I can dial up these or Uber food, all these different options. But in reality, we don't need that much diversity and we often don't even quite value it so much. So when I teach cooking, I like to teach people the only five recipes they need. If you Google vegan mac and cheese recipe, there's like 34 million results, <laughs> something silly like that. But actually you don't need any of those once you understand the basic idea of how a mac and cheese is made or a vegan soup, a vegan soup recipe, I'm sure that would yield like a billion results on the internet. I don't know. But there's so many, many, many recipes out there, but you don't need those to make soup. You just need to open the fridge and look at what's there or go to the grocery store and look at the fresh vegetables, pick a couple things that look okay, add an onion some beans, some broth, and there you go, you have soup. It can be very simple, it can be very nourishing, it can be very tasty without being so complicated. And the third thing that I think is important to, to have a mindset shift over when it comes to cooking is to embrace it as a mindfulness practice. And when we think about what makes a healthful life the pillars of what they call lifestyle medicine. Well, of course, there's good food and there's exercise. There's also sleep. There's stress management and community. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the stress management, it's not just sitting on a cushion and meditating. We can practice that at every moment of the day and every task we do. And cooking is such a fabulous opportunity to be in the moment and even So don't abuse me for saying this, but I love doing dishes, my dishes, the ones from my kitchen. But I love this idea of the sensory experience of putting the dishes in the hot water and the idea of completeness as well. When you do dishes, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And if you're paying attention, it can be, it's not like a fun experience <laughs> for that you go to the Six Flags Park or something. But it is a very satisfying experience and we can find a lot of satisfaction rewards in investing ourselves in those little things. Because sometimes I don't feel like cooking and I'm thinking, well, what else am I going to do at this time if I'm not cooking? Well, maybe I'll be on the couch. So, <laughs> is that better? So, and, and I hear what you're saying, but what about the, the people who are listening And that, that are really busy. How can they see cooking as joyful and a creative activity rather yes. than a chore? One practice that makes a big difference, we'll go back to the busyness in a moment, but one practice that makes a big difference is gratitude. And seeing in our food, the, our interconnectedness with 
practically the whole universe, but also just everyone in our community, from the people who grew the food and picked the food and sold the food and tended the food to the people who will eat the food. And even thinking about how the whole universe from the Big Bang on had those elements that are now in our food today. And when we look deeply into the food, it can bring a dimension that does away with some of that resentment. But if you're extremely busy and you're chasing your tail, of course, it can be hard to do that. And there's this old saying in, in the people in the meditation that says, you should meditate at least 20 minutes a day unless you're really busy, in which case you should meditate for two hours, <laughs> you know? But so the, oh, okay. that doesn't exactly work for cooking. My suggestion is to find one hour, just one in the whole week. If you have a big family, I'd say maybe two hours, but let's start with one hour sometime in the week. There's got to be that one hour. It might be Sunday morning before everybody gets up. I don't know. But use that one hour to do what I call a minimum viable prep or just a, somebody calls it a meal prep power hour, whatever that is. But make soup. Make a big pot of soup. Or make something a little more substantial, even like a chili or a curry. Or my personal favorite in that department is the big pot of like vegan bolognese pasta sauce. Something that's super nourishing. And it's not going to be a fussy, fancy meal, but it's going to have a lot of vegetables. It's going to be wholesome. It's going to have legumes like beans of some sort in it. You can even add, for example, in a soup, you can add some carbohydrates, like some whole grains, like brown rice or quinoa, something like that. And during the week, if nothing else, you will have your soup to eat and you can feed yourself that. And it will be such a relief when you open the fridge to see it waiting for you. And it will save you from making lesser food choices and from eating food cooked by people who don't love you. That will make a big difference. Wow, I'm feeling relieved already <laughs> to see some food waiting yes. in the refrigerator for me. So how can we involve our family and friends in the cooking process and make it a fun and collaborative activity? It's not possible for everyone to have fun cooking with their loved ones. <laughs> If anybody feels that they can't stand each other in the kitchen, I've been there. <laughs> So, and I, I also, <laughs> as a mom, I feel that pressure to get my kids cooking with me. And I do want my kids to learn how to cook. It feels a bit like a thing on my to-do list. For me personally, I love that me time in the kitchen. This being said, it's not always sustainable. I think there's ways to split the labor. If you enjoy cooking with each other, that's great. I think it helps to have defined roles, to have either... Each person be in charge of a dish and it's their thing. And then that way you're not overstepping anybody's boundaries. It's your thing, my thing. Or to have a clearly defined chef and sous chef, right? Where the chef is kind of project managing everything and somebody is running at the back, chopping some vegetables or washing dishes or things like that. And another system that I find works really well, and I have a number of clients that have done this with my meal plans, is that, for example, an adult will do the meal prep on the weekend and spend an hour and a half preparing the sauce, preparing a stew, for example, maybe cooking a big batch of grains. And then 
an older child, a teenager, or even a spouse who's not really good at cooking or re doesn't really feel comfortable yet with those skills can do the assembly on the night. And so there's somebody with maybe a lesser level of skill, but that can still warm things up in the microwave and pull the meal together at the last minute. So that's another good way to share the load without having four bodies in the kitchen at the same time, which is not always possible. Wow. I love that idea of sharing the load. That, that's some great advice. And finally, can you share with us some of your favorite, easy and delicious plant-based recipes that anyone can make, even if they hate cooking? And I think you just shared soup. some of that. Soup is part of the solution to practically every problem worth solving on the planet. It helps with, of course, nutrition. It helps with food waste. It helps with environmental issues, if it's plant-based, of course. But even if there's meat in soup, well, there's going to be less meat in soup than eating a whole steak, you know? So I think that's a win. It also helps with loneliness. If you can call in a neighbor to share a pot of soup. And so soup is definitely my favorite thing. I'm always surprised because it's most of the time so simple and at the same time so satisfying. And I compare to these really fancy meals I've had at restaurants. They were mind-blowingly good sometimes, but the I didn't have that same deep, yeah, satisfaction from eating those meals. So it's really worth it to just make a simple soup and it doesn't take much. It always starts with an onion and I'm sorry for people who have an intolerance to onion. I know it's out there and I never know what to say to them, but putting in an onion, onions are underrated. They're very sweet, very nutritious. And if you just cook it for a little bit and then you add whatever vegetables you've got and often that will be simply carrots maybe a little bit of celery. You just chop those things. It doesn't matter if they're all chopped in the same size. They're still good. And they should be roughly the same because otherwise a big chunk of carrot probably won't be cooked. But you get my, right. my, my drift there. Mm -hmm. Maybe a red pepper or eggplant or mushrooms. It doesn't really matter. Just put, don't put something weird like watermelon with the onion. That would be strange. But if it's a vegetable, it's most likely fine. Even <laughs> corn, whatever. And then... Add garlic, of course, if you can, because it's also not only delicious, but great for our health, like all the other alliums. And add those things, cauliflower, find some cruciferous vegetables. If you have some kale on hand, I love to rip the leaves off, cut them small for the soup, but then I also chop the stems very small and use that like celery. It just, why throw it away? You know, we've, you've paid for it, number one. And number two, it's very nutritious. So why don't just throw it in there? It adds that same very slight saltiness as celery would do. So put all those things in the soup, cook it roughly for, I don't know, five to 10 minutes until there's some of the water from the vegetables that's sweated out. Add some broth, add a can of drained chickpeas, any kind of beans, it doesn't matter. And perhaps a handful of, brown rice or quinoa, simmer the thing for about 20 minutes and enjoy. And the best news is that it will be even better tomorrow and the day after because the flavors will develop. And that's the beauty of making anything like soups or stews. They will always taste better the next day. But the most important part is, of course, you can enjoy it yourself. But if you can share a bowl with someone else, invite a neighbor. So many people work from home these days. You can have a neighbor over for lunch. 
and share a bowl of soup, and that will make it tremendously better, even. Wow. It all sounds delicious. <laughs> the recipes, the ingredients, working with family, working in the kitchen, feeling grateful and satisfied for meals. You've really shared some wonderful information to help us embrace cooking instead of just hating it. So Brigitte, I really thank you for being here, sharing your expertise I with wish us we could today. Be together, cook a pot of soup and eat it together on the deck this afternoon. It would be absolutely fantastic. Maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe next time. So thank you so much. Whether you're a seasoned cook or someone who hates spending time in the kitchen, this episode is for you. So be sure to tune in and learn how to make cooking a joyful and stress-free activity. And don't forget to join our plant-based community at www.plant-basedcurious.community to find other recipes. I will be sharing Brigitte's vegan cookbook when this podcast goes live. So tune in, share with us, stay curious and share your feedback. Let me know the topics you want to hear about and I'll do my best to cover them in future episodes. Thanks for listening and I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Plant-Based Curious Podcast. We really hope you've enjoyed our discoveries, experiences, and resources about the plant-based vegan lifestyle. Remember to click that subscribe button so you can join in on our future conversations. Until next time, allow yourself a little time and good energy. 